I'll be honest, I feel a bit um, out of sorts tonight. I don't know if that's just because of all the the stuff that's been going on over the last few days and weeks uh, and months, but my mind has been all over the place and trying to figure out how we as followers of Jesus can do anything uh, to help some of the people that are are being affected by the tragedies uh, in this world. I I hope that um, I'm not gonna force my hand too much this evening as we look at the book of Mark, but I do wanna try to make some some parallels with with what we have seen uh, in the world around us. So we're gonna jump into the book of Mark chapter nine. Just have a handful of verses this evening. It says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. This is the word of God for the people of God. So when I was in undergrad a long time ago, it seems like a long time ago anyway, um, I studied biblical education. I went to a really small conservative Bible college and I was in the education program, which means I spent a lot of time with crazy young ladies that wore sweaters like this. They had chalkboards and apples and the alphabet. I mean, these were like teachers. And then it was me and a couple guys in the PE department that were like surrounded by all these um, ladies that loved to do things like bulletin boards and we had idea boxes. I remember mine, it was gray and I just put block letters on the top that said idea box. And it was like for the lessons that you had and just you know the brain teasers or the icebreakers or whatever you could do to try to relate to the 13 year old kids right in front of you that were just judging you the entire time. Um, In my education program, one of the things I took away from that experience uh, was one of my advisors who was like the stereotypical grandma of all grandmas. And yes, she wore the chalkboard uh, cardigans as well. Um, But she would say, review, review, review. When you're teaching people, review, review, review. The information that you have, just keep giving it to them over and over and over so that at some point it begins to click and it begins to make sense. In the book of Mark, what we've seen over the last couple of chapters is Jesus entering into this moment of review, review, review. He has just announced for the first time at the, in the later half of chapter eight that he was going to die. He spoke it very plainly to his disciples, saying this is, this is what's going to take place. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. There's, there's nothing really, at least for us, as we hear that, it just seems so straightforward because we know the end of the story. We know what happens at Easter, and we know what happens in those events where Jesus sacrifices himself for us. But for those people in that time, when Jesus is saying these things, it just did not quite make sense. The disciples did not get it again. They just didn't get it over and over. And they've been demonstrating themselves to be folks that didn't quite put the pieces together all throughout the Gospel of Mark. For us, we can step into a time of review, review, review. 
the disciples uh, from the very beginning, they just didn't understand what Jesus was about and what he was trying to accomplish in his ministry. We can see this in when he begins teaching in parables. He was announcing the kingdom of God that was breaking into this world. It was showing up in a way that was surprising. It was showing up in a way that was unparalleled. It was showing up in a way that was going to meet the needs of the people at that time, but they didn't necessarily have the eyes or the ears to understand what it was that he was saying. So Jesus would tell these stories about different types of seeds. Or he tells stories about different types of uh, roads and soils that the seeds would land in. He would tell stories about nets and about bushes and about all these different things to try to get a point across that what's happening is groundbreaking. Some would say that he did not want to just go out there and say it very plainly because that would have caused the the Roman Empire and the, the Jewish religious leaders to really be ticked at what he was doing. So he was trying to be very subversive in how he was teaching. But his disciples, his main crew, he would tell these stories and then later we would see them alone in a room saying, hey Jesus, remember that story that you just told? Yeah, we don't have any idea what you were saying. Can you break that down for us? And then Jesus would, would enter into a time of teaching, and it, there was like an, an underlying assumption that they just weren't getting it. There's also a story, this is after Jesus feeds the, the 5,000, uh, he breaks the loaves and the fish, just a handful of those things, and multiplies it and gives it out to this, this vast group of people that had gathered to hear him teach. And after this, he sends his disciples away so that he can go up on the mountain to pray and to have time with, with his father and just kind of figure out what, uh, what was next and what was going on. And as his disciples were in the boat, they had gone out into the middle of the sea and Jesus sees them in stormy waters. The Bible says that Jesus walks to them on the water. It's interesting because it says, when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought that he was a ghost and they screamed. Seeing him was terrifying to all of them. And he just gets in the boat and says, don't be afraid. And then the the common English Bible says, his disciples were so baffled that they were beside themselves. They had no idea what was going on, who this person was, what he could do, and why he was doing it. And and they just just weren't expecting this sort of of miracle at this time. We also have a text where Jesus is uh, responding to the religious leaders of the time that were saying, hey, Jesus, you and your disciples, they don't wash your... You don't wash your hands before you eat, and that's, that's ritually impure. It's not something that we do. Why do you think that you guys are allowed to do that when we have not taught that? And Jesus goes into this teaching where he says, um, nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. He was saying, it doesn't matter about washing hands or not washing hands. It's what comes out of you that is truly defiling the evil inclinations that we have, the, the sin nature that takes over and the way that that demonstrates, that is what contaminates and disqualifies people from following me. The disciples have really no idea what's happening and later they get a moment with Jesus and they ask him what was going on and he says, don't you understand? Do you know that nothing from the outside that enters a person has the power to contaminate? His own closest people do not understand what's going on. Later in a story, after Jesus feeds 4,000 people, again, the disciples are, are kind of baffled at what is going on, and they're leaving, and it says Jesus' disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, so they only had one loaf with them in the boat, and he gives them strict orders, watch out and do not let the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees invade. The disciples discuss this amongst themselves, and they had no idea what was going on, and they say, well, I guess he's talking about the fact that we don't have any bread here with us. And Jesus again says, don't you grasp what has happened? Don't you understand? Are your hearts so resistant to what God is doing? You don't 
get it. In chapter eight, Jesus, this is the first announcement where he says, I'm gonna die. I'm going to be killed. I'm gonna be handed over to people. Um, but in three days, I'm gonna rise from the dead. And Peter, when he hears this, it was so mind-boggling to him, he begins to, to resist and he actually rebukes Jesus saying, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to do something different. You can't just show up and do this. That's not how the story goes. And Jesus, in this moment, says, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but you're thinking human thoughts. The disciples, story after story after story, just don't quite understand what's going on, and it's no different here in these verses that we're looking at this evening. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. N.T. Wright says of, of this whole trajectory and specifically of this passage that we're looking at, he says, I don't know whether Mark wants us to feel sorry for the disciples at this point, but quite frankly, I do. They have demonstrated themselves to be time and time and time again to not understand what Jesus is up to or what he's doing. So much so that time and time again, Jesus says, don't you get it? I can't be any clearer than what I have just been. This is going to happen. Don't you understand What's going on? Another scholar, seeing this, begins to, to put some, connect some dots and even questions whether or not this actually happened because it's becoming so ridiculous that these disciples are just completely obtuse to what's happening. He says, it does not seem credible that Jesus would repeatedly hold forth in clear terms on the subject of his forthcoming death and resurrection that his disciples would repeatedly misunderstand these references and yet that they would repeatedly refrain from asking him about them. Now, I don't want to push it that far, but I hope that the point is being made that throughout this gospel, we've seen the disciples just being folks that don't quite understand what's going on and Jesus seems to be growing in frustration to the fact that they don't quite get it. All of this elicits the question from us, why don't the disciples understand what's happening? I wanna propose just a couple of ideas. The first thing is their context was different than ours. Here we are 2,000 years removed. We've got the whole book. We've got the end of the story and we can see what Jesus is doing and what he is saying. But for people at that time, it just didn't make any sense. I've told you guys before, I went to see The Lord of the Rings, the very first one. I was there, I was super pumped about it because I had not read the books and I'm sitting there in my seat, got my popcorn, got my, my big cherry Coke because you always get a huge cherry Coke when you go to the movies and you're sitting there and it's comfortable. And the people that I, w I was with, they, they leaned over and said, hey Josh, um, Frodo doesn't throw the ring into the fire of Mordor. And then they just went back and they looked back at the screen. That's two, that's two movies away. That's like the end of the story. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? Like they, they told in a sense like how the story was ending and it completely changed and transformed how I understood what was going to happen. Everything for me from that point on, it was just viewed through that, through that lens. But here, the context is different where we know the end of the story, but for the people that were living right in the moment, they didn't understand what Jesus was up to and what he was, what he was going to do because it was completely different than what they were expecting. Jesus' teachings were often symbolic. I told you about these stories that, that he, he often told about seeds and about plants and about these different things. So they were expecting when Jesus said this, this couple of lines, they were looking for something hidden underneath the surface. They were looking for something that might be um, 
different because what was just there just didn't seem to make any sense. But the most important thing that I want to submit to you is that Jesus' teaching didn't fit in their box. It didn't fit with their theology. It didn't fit with their reading of the scripture. It didn't fit with their expectations. What Jesus was teaching was utterly surprising. This was something that was completely different than what they had heard and what they were expecting the Messiah to do and to be. No one at this time was expecting this person to die. They were expecting this person to show up and to destroy the Roman emperor, whoever was leading the charge at that time, and to usher in a time of peace and time of tranquility and a time of hope. Jesus throughout has been challenging people's ideologies or presuppositions, the things that they bring to the table. When Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to do that because that's not the way that it is, Jesus begins to move that line and push Peter's ideas into a different place. Early on in the gospel, it says, Jesus has this battle cry where he says, new wine into new wineskins. You can't have the old traditions and the old way of doing things. They can't contain who I am. Everything that's happening now is totally and utterly different. They were having to change their mindset with regard to what was happening. And for the disciples, this was difficult because they just didn't have the framework to see it. This is the big question that I wanna ask. What is the distance between the disciples and us? N.T. Wright again says, we can not only sympathize with the disciples, we must ask ourselves whether we can do the same thing. When God is trying to say something to us, how good are we at listening? Is there something in scripture or something we've heard in church or something that we sense going on around us through which God is speaking to us? And if so, are we open to it? Are we prepared to have our earlier ways of understanding things taken apart so that a new way of understanding can open up instead? Are we as a people able to see the newness invading to have that newness shape who we are and to change our mindsets? Or are we just comfortable with, with the things that we've thought for our entire lives? Are we just comfortable with those ideas and we don't want them to be challenged and we don't want them to be changed and we don't want them to be, to be pushed or broken because those are who we are and that's who God has to be and that's who Jesus has to be and that's what this Christian faith has to be? Or are we able to allow ourselves to see God moving in new ways? Are we allowing ourselves to see Jesus pushing on that line in our own lives and saying, I'm gonna do something that might be difficult for you to understand. I might be doing something that's gonna be difficult for you to accept. In this text, it's just a simple retelling of the gospel. For Christians, um, what we believe is we are sinful people. We demonstrate that each and every day from the thoughts that we have in our minds to the way that that demonstrates itself into our everyday lives, the decisions and the actions and the words and all these things show our, our need for a savior. And Jesus is announcing this moment where he says, the problems of this world and the sin that you have and the, the sins that have been put against you, I'm going to bring restoration by sacrificing myself. I'm going to bring life and hope by not only dying but by raising from the dead and ushering in a new moment. I think that at its bare bones, we understand that. For a lot of us, we've heard that our entire life. It's about asking Jesus into your heart and asking Jesus to forgive you for your sins. And beyond that, it's about partnering with Jesus 
to live a life of justice and mercy and forgiveness and hope, to demonstrate that to the people in your lives each and every day. For Christians in the room, we see that, and I think that for some of us it makes sense, but do we actually accept that? I don't mean in the sense of do we accept the the truth of those statements. I mean, do we actually accept the gospel? At its very core, what it's saying is we are broken and we are sinful and we do not deserve the love that God gives to us and are we in a place where we are able to accept that love? I think one of the biggest barriers from from the gospel and following Jesus is just this idea that we do not deserve it. And there's nobody that if they knew who we were could actually love us and could actually forgive us and could actually want to be near us. I think that another question brings itself out is is do we apply this, not just do we accept it, can we accept that forgiveness, can we accept the fact that Jesus has so loved us that he, he bore our sins on the cross and that he rose from the dead victorious so that we could have life and to experience that here and now. But I also wonder if we actually apply that. Are we transformed by the gospel or do we just show up here and mutter a few songs and hear a word and then go home and then do the exact same thing that we've done all week? When we approach the Bible, do we approach it to be changed and transformed from it or do we approach it to try to manipulate it so that it fits our predetermined ideas of what's happening? Are we letting Jesus take a hold of us and do what he wants to do with us? Are we allowing ourselves to to feel that move of the spirit that says, your plans that you have set for yourself, they might not be the ones that I have for you, they actually might take you in a different place. Are we allowing ourselves to be those people that Jesus can use in really great ways? Are we allowing ourselves to be transformed so much so that when we walk down the street and we have that, that leading or that, that move to go talk to someone or go intervene in a situation or to stand up for justice in a way that's difficult, are we allowing ourselves to put ourselves in those places? Or is this just something that we have done so that we don't go to hell when we die? This story here is about Jesus just very straightforwardly saying, this is what's going to happen. He doesn't even get into the benefits of what this means, but he's asking his disciples, in a sense, to align themselves with him and to get on board with the plan. And I think that there's questions there with how we understand the gospel. Is Jesus someone that's changing us and transforming us? Or have we tamed him so much that we keep him at bay and we continue to live how we have been living for some time. The other question that that I want to see here is that the disciples had a problem with this because Jesus' teaching was new and did not fit the the box that they had constructed for themselves or the box that the the religious leaders at the time had constructed for themselves as as well. And the question becomes for me, how often does Jesus' teaching not fit in our box and what do we do when it doesn't? In the atrocities that we have seen, in Beirut, and Baghdad, Paris. When we hear Jesus' teaching to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, how seriously do we take that? We've seen all across Facebook how um, we, we've been praying for Paris and we've been praying for people that have been through these tragedies and, and I think that we should continue to do that even in the face of people maybe not thinking that those prayers might do anything. 
but have we often or ever thought to take Jesus' words as what they are and to pray for those who are persecuting others? What does it look like for us to love those people? Jesus says that at some point in his gospel that it's easy to love those that love you, but it's, it's difficult to love those that, that hate you. These situations that we've seen are weighty and they're terrible and you can't really put words to them, but we can see Jesus pushing up against the way that we live and the way that we think and the way that we are. If everything up to this point has been completely not eloquent, and I, I think that we're there. Um, let me get even more not eloquent. Um, I can't think about Paris and Baghdad and Beirut without also thinking about Missouri and Baltimore and Charleston and all of our own mess right here not to minimize the suffering of other people that's happening, but, but even within our own country, there is suffering that's taking place because of ideologies that do not look and act and mimic the ideologies of Jesus who calls us to love, who calls us to reach people that don't look like us, think like us, act like us. I hope that, that in the midst even of, of this teaching where Jesus is just laying out the gospel and his disciples, they can't understand it and they're even afraid to ask Jesus what's going on. I hope that we are not so similar to the disciples that we just want to stay in our comfortable world where we don't allow Jesus to shape and to mold and to push and to ask us to be something different than what we have been up to this point. It's been difficult for me the past couple of days. I think at the core because the way that I live my life is very much focused on me and my family. And very rarely do I step outside of my own box. Very rarely do I let Jesus move me and shape me and mold me in a way where I actually have to risk something. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And what I hear in this text, just in these three verses, is that radical call to following Jesus with everything that you have and everything that you are, where that actually begins to look like you stepping out and loving people in a way that not only changes them, but also demonstrates how you have been changed by Jesus and his love for us. In the midst of all this stuff, no matter where it is that you are, I hope that what we see at the very bottom of this is a gospel where Jesus sacrifices himself for us and for our brokenness and allows us to have hope. But my hope is that we do not just keep that for ourselves, but we actually take that outside and we begin to do something radical with it. Where we begin to push 
against that line and where we begin to, as Jesus did, we find the people on the margins, the people that have been oppressed and hurt and we invite them in and we share our table with them. My hope is that when these atrocities take place, we don't change our Facebook profile picture for two days and then forget about it. That when things happen in our own country that we don't just mention it one day in church and then forget about it and get onto the normal business of life. But I hope that as we see these things, we, we bring the gospel to these people in a way that they need it. I hope this evening that Jesus' love for us transforms us from the inside out and that we live changed and transformed.